Hi guys, I'm Izzy. And I'm Marina. We are the hosts of eConnect Talks. On this podcast, we'll be interviewing pioneers in the climate and environmental movement. From small to big players and everything in between. No matter what industry or walk of life, everyone has their part to play in helping shape our future into a wonderful one. We are so excited to learn more about the lives and visions of our guests and share them with our eConnect community. Sit back, relax, and get ready to join us in some interesting chats with people doing fascinating things. We hope you enjoy. We are very honored and excited to welcome our first ever guest on the show, Swiss South African explorer and adventurer, Mike Horn. Mike Horn is acknowledged as one of the world's greatest modern day explorers. He has undertaken exceptional feats of endurance, determination, and courage, which have extended the boundaries of human achievement. Mike's list of accomplishments is unparalleled. Mike has been pushing the boundaries of exploration for more than 20 years now. He circumnavigated the world twice, once on the equator and once on the Arctic Circle, both alone and without motorized vehicles. He's crossed South America and the entire length of the Amazon River on a hydro speed. He made a crossing to the North Pole in winter and complete darkness. He sailed around the planet for four years on his boat, Pangea, educating young people about the environment. And he scaled four of the world's 8,000 plus meter mountains. Mike, welcome to eConnect Talks. We are so excited to be able to speak with you. Thank you, Marina. It's a pleasure speaking to you guys too. So we have a couple of questions and... uh... Uh, the first one is sort of how uh, and what were your earliest memories of adventure and exploration? You know, Isabel, I don't think you you become an explorer. We all we all are exploring some interest that we have in life. For me, it was really the connection with nature that excited me more than sitting in a classroom, although. Uh, I was educated by my father and my mother uh, to go and study, uh, uh, to do well at school. Um, I was always sitting inside wishing I could be outside. It started at a very young age and I think my father and my mother understood that I was a little bit different than my three, um, I two sisters and one brother. And my father gave me a lot of freedom. So, you know, he he gave me only one rule. And that was that at six o'clock at night, I must be at home. So, you know, the fact that I didn't have to tell him where I was going meant that he trusted me. And if you give a kid a lot of freedom and you teach him that his word is his honor and that you trust him, that is when actually you don't want to disappoint your parents because that freedom will be taken away from you that makes you feel alive. And in many ways, uh, today, we, we tell younger people not to do this or not to do that. Uh, don't walk close to the cliff. Oh, be careful. Don't run because you might fall. Instead of letting them fall, instead of them approaching the cliff, having a better view, and basically taking the consequences of, of their decisions. So for me, it was really um, from 
the day I was born to living 55 years in extraordinary life, doing what I really want to do in life that makes me happy and excited about the next day, more than ever thought of do, doing something else. And I think um, if you're happy in what you do, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're, it takes a lot of courage almost to, to fully embrace that. And uh, you become a sort of leader uh, for our generation. And unfortunately, our generation is considered an indoor generation because, you know, because of what you're saying, a lot of children are not given that freedom to just go outside and make their own mistakes. And, and that's a it's very sad in a way. I, I think, uh, sorry, yeah, I just think that you can, if, if, you, if you've been given freedom from a young age, it becomes a habit to use the time uh, wisely. Um, it's not when you're 18 or 19 years old or 20 years old, uh, when you leave home that you can be free. Um, it's very difficult to adapt and, and kind of, teach old dogs new tricks in a way. You need to be able to be given that freedom throughout your life to be able to know what to do with your free time away from school, away from exams, away from you actually um, being controlled by your parents. The moment that you're not controlled by them, is the moment that you can choose what to do. And a lot of us do not know what to do with that, that time. And that's why we tend to stay in this comfort zone. And in this comfort zone, there's no progression. No, I, I completely agree. I think um, how you lived your life and were brought up, that sense of freedom instills confidence and trust and actually a connection with with nature and our surroundings in a way that often children aren't encouraged to these days so it's such an important message to convey and a real inspiration the way you've lived your life and actually that that leads us on to our, our next question which is at what point did you decide that you wanted to live all your life like that including to um, transform this into a career and and a whole life path um, I think I think it just happened naturally uh, more than uh, me planning um, to to become an explorer. When I was growing up in South Africa, um, we spent a lot of holidays together in in a family, and we went to the mountains and we went to the canyons and we went to the jungle and to the beaches and. That allowed me to, to basically discover from a very young age that nature, as you see it uh, from living inside it, meaning in the jungle, on the beach, um, in the mountains, uh, was much better than looking at pictures. I think that connection with nature is something that we, we have to establish um, with nature. And if there's no connection to nature, nature becomes dangerous for you. Nature becomes um, a, a place that, um, yeah, the storms, uh, you have to protect yourselves. 
you can't go out when it's minus 40 because it's too cold. It's just because you're not connected to nature and you're not properly dressed or you do not know enough um, of nature to be able to survive in these, these conditions. And um, when I was eight years old, my father gave me a bicycle. Uh, first of all, I explored on foot. So until eight years old, as far as I could walk, um, I could go. But at six o'clock in the evening, I had to be at home. So when I got given a bicycle, straight away, my exploration kind of circle just became much bigger. It's like when you throw a little tiny pebble into a pond and you see it circle out. Um, that's more or less how I saw my life. I wanted my life to circle out, to be able to know a little bit more, to go places I've never been, to be able to discover if I was capable of doing these things. Because first of all, you explore nature, but you've got to know yourself to be able to know what you're capable of doing in nature. So the constant usually as nature changes, the constant is you, you stay the same and your knowledge increases. And that allows you to go out there and eventually walk two times around the world, sail 27 times around the world, cross the North Pole, cross the South Pole, swim down the Amazon. The world's such a small place just because I was brought up in a way that um, made me grow with knowledge and experience. And you need to be inspired by somebody. You need to be able to have a mentor in your life that say, listen, go out there, be bold, be brave. But it's not an easy life. You are going to make mistakes. You um, might, um, yeah, you might injure yourself. You, uh, you might die climbing a mountain without oxygen and having a problem at 8,000 meters. The last crossing I did from, from uh, Alaska via the North Pole all the way to, to Svalbard and Spitsbergen, um, you are 130 days exposed to the worst weather on the planet. And nobody in his right mind would ever think of crossing the North Pole. Why would I think it's possible and you have 7 billion people on the planet telling me it's impossible, simply because I decided that that is what I wanted to, to do. And that my whole life, I prepared to cross this, this North Pole. And I was the only one on earth that wanted to do that, simply because it was a challenge that I could measure my knowledge, my experience, and I knew myself. So if I was convinced that it was possible to do, then other people start believing in me. Nature is a, is, is a professor that teaches you everything that you need to know about yourself. And when you get to know yourself, that's when you start interacting with other people in different ways. And that interaction with other people in different ways um, makes life pleasurable meaning that I like going out, being alone, um, you know, even 
if it's for two years and sleep in a tent uncomfortably, uncomfortably. But the moment that I get back, I want to be with people. I want to share with people. I want to inspire people. And I think inspiration is something that we all need in life. We need that mentor to show us that's the space that you need to move in to be happy in life. And you've mentioned a, a mentor a couple of times. Who was who was your mentor? You know, I didn't didn't have movie stars or bloggers or influencers or, or whoever becomes our mentor today. My father was my mentor. He was a South African rugby player. And walking down the street with him, I was always so happy when people came up to him and said, wow, you played so well. And I was proud as a little boy because people complimented it. And so when, when they, they, they give him all these compliments, I said, wow, I'm the luckiest boy on earth because my father is respected by everyone. So the moment he played his last rugby match, I went into the changing room with him after the match. And all the younger players came to him and said, you know, um, you've been an example to us. You were always first at the training. You, will, you were always last to leave. You were always there to listen to our problems. You were always there to give a helping hand. And when I listened to what the other players told him, I said to myself, wow, I want to be like him. So when they left, I looked my father in the eyes and I was just a little boy and I said, I want to be like you. And then he said something that nearly broke my heart. He said, Mike, you can't be me. Wow. Disappointment. And a couple of seconds later, he said, you know, I can see that your life will be much bigger than mine. You will do much better than I have ever done in life. And all I did was believe him. So the moment that you believe him as a child, it's easier to believe when you're a child because you've got to be, you know, as you grow older, you get more experience and you trust less. So I believe that my life could be better. And then he said, you have to be who you are. Don't be like anybody else but yourself. That's the easiest person to be. So as soon as you want to be like somebody else, life becomes complicated. And then you, act, you become an actor in your own life. So for me, it was from an early age, normal just to be myself because that's, I will be big. My father said so. And every day of his life, he went running, he went training. At six o'clock in the morning from eight years old, every day I woke up to go and run with him. He never ran any slower for me to keep up. I could hardly keep up with him for 10 minutes running behind him. And then when I couldn't keep up, I took a little stone and drew a line on, on the pavement and said, this was where I could run to with him today. And tomorrow I'll try and go a little bit further. And every day of my life, I was trying to, to stay with him a little bit longer and in that changing room, he asked me, he said, why do you think I go running every day? And I said, you go running simply because you want to be, to be informed. You want to add value to your team. You want to be the best person that you can be so that people know that they can rely on you. 
That's why you go running. And he said, yeah, that's half the truth. But why I go running is because you inspire me. You wake up every morning. And I know when I cross that line that you drew on the pavement, on, I know that you behind me and you trying your best to keep up. And I want you to progress. So you inspire me. And I was eight years old, inspiring a semi-professional rugby player. And if it was true or not, it doesn't matter. But what matters was that I believed I inspired him and that I could inspire others. So inspiration is something that we all need in some form in life. And when we have to answer the question, who was my mentor? My mentor became people that inspired me. And that, when I look at people and I say, wow, that guy's got a good quality. Maybe I can apply that quality in my life. And that makes you grow your life by looking at people, taking the best from each person. And that's why inspiration is so important. The way that you guys can go out there, inspire the younger people by setting up these podcasts, speaking about the environment. You know, we say in French, to save nature for the next generation is very important. And we all need to know more about what we can do to be able to make the world a better place. Absolutely. And you've gone on to do that in spades through your expeditions and your remarkable achievements, but also through your amazing boat trip with Pangea, taking lots of young people on this incredible adventure. Um, we'd love to hear a bit more about that. You know, um, Marina, it was... Um, when I was growing up, I was allowed to watch one TV program. It was a, a French guy called Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau was, was a, a French explorer that built a boat called Calypso. And he went out and explored the world's oceans. And I was fascinated about that program. So one day I told my, my mother and my father, we were sitting there watching the, the show. I said, I want to work for this guy. And my father said, just write him a letter. And I was a young little boy. Tell him that, that you want to work for him. So I wrote a letter. I went to the post office, posted the letter, got the stamp and sent the letter. And then every day I went to the post box and they never wrote back. And for me as a child, you know, I went to my father and I then said, why didn't he write back to me? He said, Mike, the guy is most probably out there exploring. He's got, he's on the other side of the world in France. You live down in Africa. Um, you know, maybe he gets hundreds of these letters every day. And I kind of ex accepted that he didn't write back to me. And then in my mind, I said, one day I will build a boat and young boys like me and young women like me, if they write to me, I'll answer them and I'll take them on an adventure. And that was the original idea of the Pangea expedition. 
I wasn't given that opportunity and I wanted to give that opportunity that I didn't have as a kid to other young adults. So I built a boat. I didn't have money to build a boat. So an investor came to me and he said, oh, well, your, your name is a little bit known. Maybe, yeah, we're interested in buying your name. So I sold my intellectual property. I sold the name Mike Horn. He gave me the money to build the boat. I didn't want my name. I wanted a boat. So the moment that I sold my name, I got to build a boat. And that gave me the freedom. So I built a boat called Pangea. And Pangea simply means one world. 250 million years ago, there was one supercontinent when all the, the continents, um, they were still stuck together. And there was one ocean called Pantalassa and the earth, well, the continents, they were called Pangea. So I believe that my boat can reunite the youth and I can take them to the most beautiful places on the world to show them the natural beauty. I don't believe that we should show destruction because it, it's, it doesn't give us hope. I'm more for showing the beauty and saying, okay, let's, let's take care of the remaining beauty of the planet and then see what we can do to, to rebuild what we destroyed. So that's when I decided to work with young adults between the age of 15 to 22 years old. Any young adult from around the world could apply, would go through a training course, and then go out on, on, on uh, an expedition with me. So we got letters from all around around the world. Some candidates were not exactly what we were looking for because they wanted more a holiday, a free holiday, than really becoming world environmental ambassadors. So we were looking for um, young people that could influence other young people. We needed young people that would eventually go to university, get into positions in, in, in a company that is powerful, that can make a change. And we carefully selected these young, young people. And for each expedition that we did, we did four expeditions a year. For each expedition, we chose um, from the six different continents, two young explorers, as we called them. So on the boat, Pangea, we had the whole world represented because we had two kids from the six different continents. And they created a network of young people that could kind of interact and share their environmental project uh, uh, problems that they have in their country with others that have more or less the same problem in their countries. And then we had a a professor, Dr. Professor Roswitha Stolz from the University of Munich, she, um, she did all the environmental programs and educational programs that we had with these young people. And she then gave solutions. So we went to the Amazon and then we see that the trees are cut. We see that they burnt. We see that, um, you know, 
is is basically destroying the lungs of the world and i believe that research is very important but there's a moment that a lot of research never never reaches maturity because no action program is applied through that research there's very little action and what we did during the Pantier expedition, we didn't do research. We took research that was done and started doing action programs by planting trees. So 6 million trees were planted, coral were constructed, oceans were cleaned up. And these young uh, ambassadors or young environmental leaders that we created now run their own projects all around the world. So I believe that the biggest source of un untapped energy is the younger generation. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's this humbling moment when you're uh, alone in nature, in the mountains or underwater. And unfortunately, they've become these rare experiences in our day-to-day, -day, but they are that way for nature herself to be your inspiration and to come out and say just if you live me you you understand that we're one with nature right we're not these conquerors um, which is the main issue global issue is sort of this mindset change um, and I think slowly the younger generation is snapping out and it's very hopeful to see and to become aware that we're sort of waking up um, into ourselves into nature and seeing I, I feel like a lot of their past human history has been asleep has been you know thinking let's conquer there let's do that we're above uh, ab how do we conquest this a huge force that is nature. Um, and that's how human intelligence and progress and like the word civilization was put on this sort of definition is the more we can destroy, the more civilized we are. We'll be right back. You're listening to an eConnect podcast. EConnect is both a digital media platform and an environmental consultancy. Our media is a voice for changemakers, a space for innovations, and a destination for conscious living. Sign up to our weekly newsletter. Our consultancy designs the future, drafting tailor-made strategies and connecting businesses with innovations and ideas that empower companies to become leaders in their sectors. It's the ultimate act of hope, what you're doing though, and getting all these um, young people from all over the world to come together and share wisdom, share best practices, inspire, encourage each other. I mean- You know, Mar Marina, what's quite important to understand is that um, we, we know so much today, um, but so little, little is done. And that's more worry, uh, worrying. It worries me a little bit. Because we always point fingers at the politicians, at the industry, 
and they should make the change. But I believe we should all make the change. We can't always look at the politicians uh, to be able to find solutions. Why can't we as individuals all play our part in, in make, making the world a better place that would last forever to, to live in? And if I am capable of what I've done, and I'm not special or any stronger or have a lot of money, it's just I have an idea. And once you can apply this idea, imagine 7 billion people have an idea not to, to rape our, our planet, but to be able to rebuild it, to actually nourish it, to give it a chance to breathe. Um, the world can, can instantaneously become a better place. And we just went up to Svalbard um, last summer and... Um, to, to go and record whale song. And because of the COVID, in fact, the fishing boats or the hunt, whales are still hunted. Um, they couldn't go out and leave port. So the whales for three or four months, they were free. And whale songs were recorded before um, the COVID and then after COVID. And there's a big difference in the stress levels of their songs. So meaning that now, after even four months of no hunting, um, because the boats had to stay in port, the whales were calling the others back to the, uh, the Arctic Ocean, where they were hunted before. And that's happened in four months. So it's just a unique opportunity with this COVID now that we can compare with before and after. And I'm afraid that we're just going to go back to the normal life like it was. And in one lifetime, we have more or less 30,000 days in a lifetime. That's average to the average age of 82 years old when you're lucky to live to 82. And because it's such a short life, we care enough to take care of nature. So, so the moment that if you think that your life is only 30,000 days, it doesn't matter what you do to the planet. It will, you're not going to be there later. But that's the wrong attitude to have. And that's why I believe that the younger generation, we must give them more power when it comes to the planet. Because they've got longer to live on this planet. And imagine we, we hand down this power from younger people to younger people to be able to change policies, how we use and abuse the planet. Not saying that they know it all. I think that because they need the planet longer than we need the planet as, as, as oldies, um, they're going to take care of it differently. Yes, I totally agree. And empowering people, as you said, to realise that absolutely everyone um, in their lives, no matter what their life is shaped like, what they're doing, what their job is, um, no matter where they are in the world, they all, everyone has a part to play and everyone can make a difference. And as you said, life being um, so short, we tend to neglect the environment for the sake of our own enjoyment. But actually, as, as Izzy said, I think there's a mind shift happening that people's value is being 
reprioritized and now we're realizing just like you've lived your life and I think how many more to come want to live their lives which is this connection with nature of um, valuing and upholding nature internally externally and and in all that we do and just to touch on your uh, insane experiences with nature uh, which moment in your lifetime of adventures would be the first one that stands out uh, from, you know, circumnavigating uh, the earth in the equator and um, on the hydrosphere in the Amazon or in the darkness in the Arctic circle. And a lot, oftentimes you were alone or in all of these three expeditions, I think you're alone. What what was the moment if an interaction with an animal or with nature herself, or that is the first thing that you, that comes to mind? Is I think that, you know, the first, there's many things. Being a, a professional explorer, um, yeah, we, we live um, close to death because that's where we feel alive. But we never think of dying. We think of surviving. We do what we do because that's what makes us feel alive. And um, I was um, sleeping in my tent, recovering, crossing the North Pole in 2006 in complete darkness, and heard a polar bear approach. Um, we were a little bit short on food and, 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 and struggling a little bit because the ice drifted back quicker than what we could walk forward. So meaning that for a period um, nearly one month, we we walked 20 hours a day or pulled our sled. We skied to get to the pole in conditions of minus 40 in complete darkness. And you would go into your tent to eat, to sleep for five hours, and then wake up again to, to keep on, on skiing. And after 30, day, uh, 30 days, we only advanced two kilometers. So you're walking on a treadmill. I was in the tent and I was thinking, wow, you know, we're running out of food. Um, there's no way that we can, anybody can bring us food. And the moment we, we run out of food, then our life is going to become very short. And a polar bear approaches. A polar bear, he smells the food that I have in my sled. And he gets into the sled and he rips the cover of the sled and now he wants to eat my food. So he needs to survive and I need to survive. He pulls the sled back and he, with, with his butt, he touches the tent and he sits on the tent. So basically, I'm inside the tent with uh, my Norwegian uh, friend, Borgi Ausland, and the polar bear is sitting on the tent. And sitting on top of me. There's just a little bit of nylon in between him and me. So he's so interested in the food that he doesn't even know he's sitting on me. And I'm stuck in my sleeping bag. And all I could move was my elbow. So I moved my elbow like this. And I woke up Borgi that was next to me. And I said, Borgi, listen, there's, there's a polar bear in my sled. And he's basically sitting on the tent and I can't move. 
and he opens up his he, he opens his eyes and it's dark inside the tent and he kind of he said what did you say i said yes there's a polar bear in my sled eating my food and kind of sitting on me and borgi ausland he he looks at me and he said mike why are you waking me up the polar bear is eating your food not mine you have to do something about it so at the end of the day yes i think that those life threatening experiences with the interaction with nature and the animals living in nature um becomes special moments that kind of forms our life forever it it, it shapes your life forever and i often take take what borgi said by heart if you have a problem it's for you to sort out the problem now but that's nature's way of teaching you that you need to take care of yourself don't always rely on others to be able to take care of your problem it's your problem you sort it out otherwise you're going to die so then you know i was attacked by uh, a, a troop of uh, um of elephants that had babies and stuff like that so i was on my bicycle cycling through africa and basically i was on these little walkways that um the africans used to go and get water and the elephants bars and stuff like that but there was a very upset mother um with a little baby uh elephant and she started chasing me and i couldn't cycle faster than she was catching up to me and at the end of the day i threw down my bicycle and i stood up in front of the in front of the elephant like this and just said now i've got to stand my ground you know and if she comes any closer then well she's going to win the fight and it's kind of a nice way to die in a way so um she when i stood in, up in front of her and she looked at she stopped running and she looked at me you know and her ears were flapping and she's kicking up dust and stuff like that that's one of the most i would say amazing moments that i experienced so close to see the power of nature and nature deciding uh, to to kind of let you live and then arriving on the summit of of some of the 8000 meter peaks i climbed uh and being at 8000 meters at minus 40 and only have having 7% oxygen and your mind actually you you lose your mind you can't live up there forever and you've got 24 hours to stay alive in the death zone and when your brain doesn't get oxygen you start seeing thing things and i'm standing on on the summit and all of a sudden i see i see naked woman flying but naked woman with um with feathers flying around and i'm on the top of the mountain and i'm just looking at these this like flock of naked woman that's that's got feathers flying and for me you know with the lack of oxygen and now being in that situation that you start hallucinating and stuff like that you see a lot of different things as well and that's when i realized that wow i have to get down as quickly as possible because there's no naked woman with feather flying uh anywhere at 8000 meters so those are 
just little examples of of what you cannot experience if you're not out there doing these things. You can't even imagine it. And after circumnavigating the world following the equator, and I was nearly back home, I had to go through Congo. And in Congo, I get caught and I put, I, I've been put in front of a death squad. They killed the guy that was caught with me and I survived. So it wasn't the lions and the elephants and the polar bears or the lack of oxygen that was going to kill me. It was actually human beings that were going to kill me. And that disappointed me so much because I survived sailing the Atlantic, the Pacific and Indian oceans. I survived typhoons. I survived elephant attacks. I survived snake bites. But the, now I was going to be executed by human beings. And that was very difficult for me to understand. That sends a very strong message. I think the naked women, by the way, that was mother nature <laughs> in her uh, showing herself. <laughs> they always, it always comes back to you and shows you a beauty. Yeah. Uh, it's, it sends a very strong message that at the end, you know, it's human beings that we have the power to either self-destruct, which is sort of the course we're on, or uh, heal. Uh, ourselves both mentally and physically nature is I, I think you know they're both coming hand in hand which is why giving power to the people and showing you know it shouldn't be the politicians we ourselves have to demand that change by being that change and uh, that's the uncomfortable truth but I do have hope that uh, a lot of people are waking up to it because the beauty of it is that it feels better. The more you spend time in nature, the more you live a more sustainable lifestyle. You know, if you decrease your meat consumption, you 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 feel healthier. It's not it's not like the what nature almost is asking us to do uh, is better for us. It's this beautiful sort of connection, um, and hopefully enough people have these close encounters experiences even just I think with COVID now that more people had time to spend outside instead of an office um, and realize that it's healthier for their mind for themselves and it's what you know is worth fighting for in the end. Yes and um, I mean I love that story about the whales the fact that when um when there haven't been any hunting boats going out there, they were, you know, beckoning the whales to come back into their waters. And that was, that was so moving. And I really hope that that um, example is mirrored throughout the world. And it also reminds us that, you know, nature can heal itself. You know, nature will be um, all right beyond us. It's whether we want to be a part of that story. And that's, um, that's the choice that we all have to make as a species. And uh, a final question um, or final one of the final questions we'd love to ask you is if you could go back and say to your 20 year old self, if you could go back and um, speak to him, what would uh, the advice you would give right now be? And also, you know, to, to those listening. Marina, when I was put in front of a death squad, I was 30 eight years old and I asked myself if I did everything I wanted to do in my life is if, if I if they're going to shoot me today 
would I change anything of my life? There's one or two little things that I, I thought I might change, but then it made me stronger by going through those hardships. Yes, um, so I wouldn't change that. And then I believe that I did everything that I wanted to do and that I could do until then. And I think that at the end of the day, what I would change is basically I would be a little bit more patient and uh, maybe um, more tolerant and more accepting um, that others do not always think like I do. Um, that I would change in my character most probably. But by doing things, I wouldn't change anything. And it's important to understand that that in life, hardship, we all need hardship because hardship creates amazing friendships. And what we need to do is that we need to go through rough times. We need to go through bad weather. We mustn't look for shelter during bad weather because you're not becoming stronger. If you go out there and you live through the biggest storms, that's when you know that you can actually do it again. The next time is going to be easier. And it's impossible to stay motivated every day. It is impossible to, to think positive every day. I believe that for a young kid, if I can give him advice, is to apply discipline to his life. Then you can do what you hate doing. And make fear your home. Don't be afraid of being afraid. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. Go out there and the moment you make a mistake and you assume the responsibility, that's when people might blame you a little bit, but they'll respect you. Don't say, no, it's because of that and because of this that I didn't make it or uh, that wasn't right. No, that was, I take the responsibility for it. And people respect that. So don't, don't be afraid of failure. Failure teaches you to become stronger. We need to complicate our life a little bit to make it interesting. And the moment you make it interesting, wow, that's when the rewards come. And the rewards would be there in different ways. It's not only measured financially in the house that you live in and the car that you drive. Nature doesn't ask you to have all of that. Nature treats everybody the same. So be able to be the strongest person that you can be in the natural environment and you'll survive no matter what. We all have, we all have the power to change the world and we've got to give hope and not despair. Rather be building people than destroying people because the moment that you build people, you give positive comments, that's when you build yourself. Don't destroy yourself by trying to destroy others. Yes, and sort of show what can be changed by doing rather than pointing. Exactly. Exactly. And befriending your fear. I loved what you said about live in your fear and don't let it. Make it your home. Make it your home. Make it your home. I make it make make fear your home because that's where where you can live in any any conditions if it becomes comfortable for you to to feel afraid 
Well, that is the most um, encouraging advice. And thank you so much, Mike. And speaking to mentors as we have, you are such an excellent mentor to so many. So thank you so much for joining us on yes. Night as our first guest. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> it's been so fascinating to hear your stories and your wisdom. And we know our listeners will have learned so much from this. So thank you very much. Thank you.